Welcome back. I'm Zanati Kuma and you're watching Stockwatch this week and joining us for a review of the week's stock performances and answers to your stock-related questions is independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Send your questions via SMS to 41392 or email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or you can tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, Jimmy. Um, quite a lot of mixed sentiment, it seems, in the markets. Um this week is it just a case of it's august and this kind of trading is expected in august and september or if there are actual real concerns that exist and if the markets could be kind of turning bearish or not as an and hi to the viewers um no i think the it, it's partly to do with that i mean it's partly to do with european summer lower trading activities in that respect but we are also still contending with a couple of macro factors i mean this week alone, uh, we got GDP data out of the UK today. We got CPI and export data out of China this week. We got US CPI yesterday. Uh, we got an interest rate decision out of India yesterday as well. So it's just been a barrage of uh, economic data points um, and economic events that have happened. So markets are probably still just digesting where that puts us relative to where we were at the start of the year, where we thought we'd be at this time, and that sort of thing. So I think. It is a combination of a couple of factors uh, that we're having to contend with at this time. Ah, all right. Well, let's get uh, straight to the questions. Uh, we've got a very interesting one. I mean, this is one that not a lot of people ask about because of all the headwinds that it has experienced, and that is chicken business, Astral Foods. Uh, quite an interesting question here. Is Astral Foods a long-term buy? Of course, we know the headwinds that they have experienced, but are we looking at those as, as though they are just short-term, but this is... You know, a business that's, uh, you know, got a good position in South Africa considering where the economy is and how people like chicken. Or do you kind of separate that? <laughs> that you know, people may like chicken, but uh, the business of chicken isn't so nice. Astral is quite an interesting one. I mean, um, if you remember when they reported uh, their their numbers sort of around when they reported in May, their headline earnings per share was down almost 90 percent back in May. Mm -hmm. uh, they did report to the tune of some 700 million um, rand cost if, or cost uh, effect as a result of load shedding. The share price has sort of bounced back from May. Um, I mean, we saw it bounce back in May and uh, June. It's, it's sort of at a critical point now. I don't know if it's got enough strength to break above that 170 Rand resistance level that we've seen, uh, sitting at about 165 Rand. I want to see it first test that level before I'm assured as to whether or not from a long-term perspective we're going up or we're going to potentially come back down to below 150 Rand a share. So I think the share price at the moment um, needs to break past its resistance level. As a company, I think they do have a couple of good fundamental points going for them um, from a consumption point of view and from a, a market placement point of view. But I do think uh, that you do also uh, be, need to be cognizant of uh, the cycles that we're in at the moment and how those cycles are being influenced by things like load shedding. I mean, the significant amount that Astral Foods had to put down to ensure that they continue to meet just their current supply and not even increasing supply definitely had an effect on um, its earnings and on its ability to return shareholder value. So that's not a function of Astral's poor performance, but rather of the economic conditions in which it operates in. 
Yeah, particularly when it comes to chicken. Um, just looking at that food producer basket, uh, you do have another counter that is ex exposed to chicken, RCL, but there are other businesses there. But also you're looking at other food producers like Tiger Brands, like AVI. Uh, would you be going into that food producer basket? Uh, and if you are, which one or which ones would be your preferred picks? Well, the, the food producer basket is quite interesting. I mean, if you look at... Um, Ash, both Astral and RCL have recently obviously pledged uh, to, to help rebuild South Africa. They, um, their CEOs are among the CEOs that have pledged to assist South Africa where they can. We know that the chicken and the poultry uh, markets are very staple um, sources of food for South Africans, uh, and they do contribute quite a bit towards uh, what we are looking at from um, a consumer point of view. I think if I have to look between RCL and Astral, um, just purely based on uh, where we're sitting at the moment, I mean, RCL's share price is a lot lower um, than um, Astral, so I'd probably be leaning more towards RCL. Uh, I do, of course, have a soft spot for uh, Rembro-based companies, uh, as everybody knows. Um, but I just think the the impact that Astral had to go through uh, with that 700 million rand um, load shedding cost was a significant impact on their business, and it was something that wasn't necessary. They, they can't necessarily say it's a one-stop event um, because until we get the load shedding conundrum solved, it's going to have some level of bearing or some level of impact. I think if I'm pressed for a topic between Astral and RCL, it's going to be RCL from my side. Ah, all right, all right. I get your point there. Well, talking about Rimgro, um, yeah, there have been quite uh, some news coming out of there for the past uh, three, four days. Um, well, of course, uh, as it pertains to Vodacom uh, and the uh, equity stake in M is Massive or Massive, I can't really get... <laughs> I don't know which one is the right pronunciation, but um, the the yeah the the the, the company that owns the CIVH assets, uh, Vumatel and Dark Fiber. Um, what do you make of what's going on there with the competition commission? But they really seem quite confident that they will get through to the tribunal. And also just looking at maybe past uh, cases uh, where, uh, of the commission and the tribunal, whether they agree or not. What do you make of what's happening there? And uh, who do you think uh, has, uh, is going to win that? I think it's, it's it's still too early to tell, but I do. I, I think the confidence that you're seeing from uh, the Vodacom and Massive stable is um, very indicative of what they believe they're going to be to be able to present towards the tribunal. I think if you look at just the space that um, both company or the space that this particular case relates to, uh, that fiber space has been uh, a very contentious space and has come under. Um, a lot more pressure and a lot more demand uh, as households have decided or households have increased their demand for fiber products and that sort of thing. Uh, the fact that the, the deal went through uh, ICASA without mm -hmm. any real concerns there uh, does give a bit of confidence to uh, the, the massive team as well as the Vodacom team that they'll be able to do something um, in terms of the, the acquisition of uh, the, the mass or the merger with the massive yeah. business. I think if we have to look at what that does for competition and sort of where the competition commission's viewpoint is is that um if i mean if you and i come into uh a fiber situation and um vumatel is down you do just you are able to pick up um 
your phone call an alternative service provider, even if you're calling through someone like MWeb that's aggregated Vumatel and OpenServe, you are still able to access alternatives. I think the concern, obviously, from a competition commission point of view is that, one, that side will be affected, but two, um, if you've got a reduced number of players, then uh, the, the price of these products can increase quite significantly as um, the, pro the providers set to then become market makers uh, or price setters and then you and I are on the receiving end of we don't really have too many options, too much choice and therefore we must go with this. We know that if we look at Vodacom from a data point of view, they're not exactly um, pricing at the lowest data point for their mobile data on their mobile devices um, and so fiber is very much uh, an area where they were a little late to the party, I mm. would say, compared to the likes of OpenServe, the telecoms, and, and the Vumatels. And I think they're trying to get into that space now. And for them, the, the deal does sort of make sense. Uh, for you and I, obviously, we just want good quality service at an affordable price. And the Competition Commission is there to ensure that uh, we are protected as much as possible. So I think when we get to the tribunal, um, both sides of the argument will be made quite strongly. Um, and I think there might be cases in, in, in the past that set the precedent uh, that give massive the confidence to think that they might be able to overturn this ruling at the tribunal. Well, I mean, uh, Jimmy, right now we're seeing these fiber wars um, because even with the MTN and trying to take over Telcom, uh, the big thing was that they would go for those fiber assets um, as they were trying to kind of uh, get a leg up on a Vodacom as well as we had the CIVH deal. And I'm wondering if you are a Vodacom investor, is there something to worry about if Vodacom actually loses out on this deal? Um, I, I don't know if it's something to worry about per se. So, I mean, if you look at the MTN um, telecom deal as well, uh, MTN sort of walked away from the telecom deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the consortium that was led by Sipo Masako came in after that for, this, for a similar type of deal or acquisition of telecom. That, necess that hasn't necessarily happened. Telecom still feel, feels that their business is undervalued, but they are still committed to selling off um, things like the SwiftNet business. So, wouldn't put it past Vodacom to say, okay, this deal hasn't gone through. Let's go make an offer on the SwiftNet business if we've got the capital to do it and let's go buy that. So um, I think there are a couple of options available to any player in the space that has a strong balance sheet, that has deep pockets, that can see the long-term potential of um, the fiber networks and the fiber infrastructure. Um, I think it's definitely where we are headed uh, as a country, as, as a continent, as, as a world. Mm. Um, so connectivity becomes so much more important. And our service providers know that. Um, and, and if you look at the, the service provider sort of picture, if MTN decides, okay, we're no longer interested in anything to do with telecom and nobody else comes to the party, I don't see the likes of Blue Label and, and Celsi coming to, to the fold and say, hey, we're going to put in an offer there. I'd sooner see a, a Vodacom do that. But again, um, so many moving parts, so many options available to these um, telecoms providers that we'll have to sort of wait and see where uh, the movements start to take place and which strategic assets make sense. Ah, all right. And indeed, uh, in that space, money talks. Um, there's a question here on Sassel. Is it risky to invest in Sassel with potential pollution fines? Well, Sassel, I mean, uh, Sassel's diversified sort of into uh, somewhat of a petrochem business um, with their Lake Charles project coming online in uh, the U.S. They've moved a lot of their uh, income rely or they're shifted They've shifted away from reliance on the oil space and that sort of thing. And um, if we were looking at pollution fines, I mean, companies that operate in Sassol uh, 
or stable or industry are going to be subject to these sorts of fines. I think it's more around um, how the company intends to offset uh, whatever its carbon footprint looks like, how the company has put in place measures to mitigate its contribution towards uh, these things. If you remember a couple of years ago, um, automotive manufacturers, the likes of VW, um, BMW, were all fined for uh, emissions, CO2 emissions, and understating those CO2 emissions in Europe. And those companies sort of came out of that um, quite stable. I mean, we've now seen, yes, uh, greater transition towards EV vehicles and all of that, but I don't think that was driven by um, the the uh, pollution fines. So if we're looking at Sasol, I mean, um, we, we have been sort of struggling below this 300 rand a share price level. We're sitting at about 260, uh, 270 rand a share. Uh, we, we, we've con- we've been consolidating near that 230 rand a share price level for quite some time, um, probably since the start of the year. So I think the, the fines aside, if you're looking at Sasol, um, as a potential investment, the share price is up about almost 10%, about 8% for this month alone. They are doing fairly well, and they've got a diversified sort of income stream from what we saw them um, holding on to in the pandemic and where they were uh, when we had that big uh, oil oil futures crash. Um, so they're very diverse. They're a very different company from what they were back then. Whether or not we'll get back to 400 rand a share or 300 rand a share at this stage, I think is still um, fairly early to tell. There's uh, a lot of things that are still moving in in terms of company performance and company earnings, not just for Sasol. I mean, if you have a look at the earnings season that the U.S. just recently closed out and reported on, that was one of uh, the stronger earnings seasons we've seen for Q2 um, in quite recent times. And so companies are doing fairly well, but there are some macro factors that are still at play that um, companies have to contend with whether they like it or not. And uh, you're sort of seeing that some share prices are lagging as a result of that. Um, but I think at 270 rand a share, I'd want to see what Sasol does at 300 rand a share before um, I can say we might even go towards 400 rand. Well, I mean, that's the thing, because even last year, Jimmy, there were uh, articles out and uh, analyst um, assessments that uh, putting the target price at, at 500. And hmm. I'm wondering, I mean, just looking at, you know, these the kind of, uh, you know, pollution, fossil fuel story there still. Could the markets also not be kind of discounting Sasol because of that, that it, it struggled to even get above the 300 level? Very real possibility. Um, I think the markets uh, are, are very, very uh, critical at this stage around uh, the, the factor that they're building in and that sort of thing. But um, even at analyst expectation of 500 rand a share, we haven't been there since realistically 2019, uh, pre-pandemic. So even coming out of the pandemic, the highest we got in 2022, I think around April and May in 2022, was about 430 rand a share. And then we absolutely came right down to uh, around 220 rand a share um, on Cecil. So I think from a movement point of view, uh, th- there'll be a lot to be said at 300 rand a share. Mm-hmm. And then from there, again, still, 400 rand is still such a big barrier before you even look at the analyst expectations at 500. So yes, we we were hopeful, we were optimistic of the fact that they survived the oil price crash the way they did. Um, And I think a a lot of the movement on Sasol, a lot of the volume that took place, took place around 2020, where we saw that oil, uh, the, the Sasol share price get to 20 rand a share, and everybody just bought in where they could and and held on for for the longest time. So I think um, having gotten in anywhere, 20 rand, 100 rand, anywhere in that range, up to the 400 rand, you've had your rally, you've had your pullback. You're going to need a bit more to now see a a significant rally that breaks above 400 rand uh, at this stage.
Ah, all right. Well, Jimmy, let's get to your stock pick for today. What are you hanging your hat on? <laughs> um, Elon Musk's forgotten firstborn child, PayPal. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that PayPal is sitting at um, sort of recent lows, right? So we haven't been this low uh, for, for the longest time, we've been consolidating around the $60 range. Um, we're at $62 at the moment. I think we could potentially come down to 60 maybe even worst case scenario, $50. There's quite a big upside potential on it. The share price, I think, is undervalued. I'm not really taking stock of their announcement on the launch of a stable coin per se. And that's because the SEC has proven in the past with the Ripple case that they're going to be very critical of um, the crypto landscape, the digital payments or digital assets landscape and that sort of thing. But I just think that at $62 a share, um, we should be closer to $100 a share on PayPal. And I just think the forgotten first child needs a bit of love. So that's my hat. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and we've been paying attention mostly to the lost born uh, X. Uh, thank you very much for your time and for your analysis today, Jimmy. That was independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. And that's where I leave things with you this afternoon. The Business Lunch team is back on Monday, same time, same place. Darling brings you the close at 6 p.m. tonight. But until then, stay tuned for lots more coming up right here on Business Day TV.